Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Wednesday, January 11th. For our climate story of the week, we'll look at the climate stats of the year. Europe's Copernicus Climate Change Service, which tracks global temperatures, reported this week that the last eight years have been the eight hottest years on record, with 2022 being the fifth hottest year ever recorded. We'll look at some of those numbers. Let's see what happened to the climate in 2022 with Henry Fountain, climate change reporter for The New York Times. Hi, Henry. Thanks for coming on. Welcome to WNYC. Thanks for having me. So 2022 was the fifth hottest year on record, according to Copernicus. Can you give us some of the numbers that that ranking is based on? Uh, well, uh, Copernicus, uh, which is like basically sort of the European version of what NOAA does in the United States, um, it takes temperature readings, monthly temperature readings uh, all around the world, takes data from other countries, et cetera, uh, uses some modeling, some computer simulation, and comes up with um, a figure. They do it every month. They also do it yearly. So uh, I think this year... Um, uh, the, the finding was that uh, globally temperatures were 1.18 degrees cent- uh, centigrade, which is roughly uh, about 2.1 Fahrenheit, higher than the late 19th century, which is before we started pumping all this carbon dioxide in the atmosphere by burning fossil fuels. So, um, uh, you know, they do this regularly. They're very good at it, just as NOAA, NASA does it as well. And uh, all the all the agencies that do it tend to agree every year. I think NASA's and NOAA's numbers are coming out tomorrow, and they'll be they'll be uh, pretty pretty much exactly the same. Uh, so, you know, the take home is that global warming is still happening. Um, it wasn't the hottest year ever, but it was really much hotter than you know a hundred years ago. Well, 2016 remains the hottest year thus far. According to those numbers, is it a sign of improvement that 2022 is only the fifth hottest year? No. In fact, it's a, it's just a sign that uh, the, the planet is warming inexorably, essentially. Um, you know, there's some variability from year to year that has nothing to do with climate change. For instance, uh, this year, as in the past two, we've been in what's called a La Nina, which is a uh, you know a climate affecting pattern that starts with colder than normal temperatures in the in the equatorial pacific ocean and that tends to keep uh temperatures globally a little bit lower than normal so uh despite the fact that we had this la nina this year or 2022 we still are near the top in terms of uh in terms of uh record keeping and and as you said it's the last 8 years with the hottest on record and you can actually go back to 2000, and I think 19 of the 22 years, or, or 20 or 21 of the 22 years, were the hottest time record. So, you know, it's just another sign that the planet is warming. We haven't really stopped it. We've, you know, we're making some progress, and 
and uh, hopefully going to figure out how to slow it down and stop it. But as of now, it's still happening. Just to remind listeners of some of the basics here, um, if the big picture is that the world is just over two degrees Fahrenheit warmer than it was at the beginning of the fossil fuels era, late 1800s, why is that such a big deal? Two degrees doesn't sound like very much in terms of our experience day to day. Right. Although I think as we've all discovered in the last five or 10 years, particularly two degrees does make a big difference. It increases uh, extreme weather Uh, in summer. It increases uh, uh, the duration and intensity of things like heat waves. And uh, for the simple reason that we're starting at a higher baseline temperature now, Uh, it uh, it has all these effects. And in fact, a lot of climate scientists, you know, have predicted that warming of two degrees Fahrenheit would would produce these impacts, these extreme weather impacts, other impacts. Um, I think a lot of them are, are uh, I wouldn't say the word alarmed, but they're noticing that these impacts are actually happening faster than we thought they would. Um, so, so two degrees may not sound like a lot, but it really makes a big difference. And, uh, you know, the, uh, the planet has been fairly stable temperature wise for a long time. It has had, you know, ups and downs over millions of years. Uh, usually those ups and downs occur very, very slowly. We've increased temperatures by two degrees in like 130 years, say. And that's super fast. And that's because of of, uh, carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases. Were there particular hottest hot spots on Earth last year, or doesn't it get measured that way? No, it definitely gets measured that way. And... uh, and it's a good question because, in fact, Europe was really a hot spot last year, particularly last summer. I think they had the the warmest Europe, uh, warmest summer ever in Europe. And there were, I don't know if you remember, but there were uh, a succession of really intense heat waves across Europe. And there were temperature records being set in towns all over uh, continental Europe, all over the U.K., um, so, you know, Europe is definitely, and it's becoming sort of a hotspot. It seems to be uh, warming faster than some other parts of the planet. Um, some of that might have to do, some of it definitely has to do with warming, global warming, but some of it might have to do with atmospheric circulation, oceanic circulation that might not be directly linked to, to climate change. And that's it's one of the things when I, you know, talk about climate change and uh, with scientists or with other people, you know, there's a lot of variability in the climate, natural variability. There's uh, there's uh, patterns that, you know, change and shift of uh, oceanic circulation or atmospheric circulation over years or decades. Um, but on top of that now, we have this climate change signal. We have this warming signal. And that's, um, that's pushing things in the direction of being hotter or uh, rainstorms being rainier and stuff. But there's always been and there will continue to be natural variability in all of those things. So you might have a year with not very many heat waves because that's just kind of the variability of things. Um, but that doesn't mean climate change is not happening and warming is not happening. Right. That's why we have to look at the uh, the longer-term trends and things right. like the last eight years being in, aggr- in the aggregate the eight hottest years on record. So the European summer last year, a particular hot spot. I know there was also the lengthy extreme heat wave in eastern and central China. 
another one in mm-hmm. Pakistan, followed by that horrible flooding that a lot of people probably heard about even here, lengthy extreme heat right. wave in India, all that stuff from the western U.S., right? Heat and dryness impacting wildfires, the drying of the Colorado River, which is, you know, the major water source for so much of uh, the southwest population yeah. centers. And I think it's from your article, the Arctic is cooling four times as fast as the rest of the world. Is that something you warming, reported on? Four times as fast. It's, it's yeah, warming. That's, it's yeah, been, warming, it's sorry. warming faster. Yeah, warming. Um, yeah. I've I've uh, I've written a lot about that over the years. The the actual rate of warming is the scientists have been trying to quantify it better, and the, the latest is that it's close to four times as fast. And the reason has to do with what they call Arctic amplification, where um, you know you lose when it warms up, you lose sea ice and in the Arctic Ocean because remember the Arctic, the North Pole is mostly water, so you lose this sea ice, and sea ice is white right and so when it's there it reflects a lot of the sunlight so it doesn't warm up so much because of that reflectance if you warm the planet and start melting the sea ice so there's less sea ice in the arctic over time you have more dark ocean to actually absorb that sunlight that was previously being reflected so the ocean gets warmer the region the arctic ocean gets warmer the region warms up and it's kind of like a a feedback loop. The more you, more that happens, the more ice you lose, the more ocean you expose, the more heat you generate, and it just keeps building. And that's why it's amplifying in that way, and that's why it's warming so hot, so, I so think, quickly. I think we have um, an Arctic-related question here from Cheryl in Soho. Cheryl, you're on WNYC with Henry Fountain, who covers climate for the New York Times. As we go over 2022 climate year in review data, on our climate story of the week. Hi, Cheryl. Hi, much a fan. Uh, my question, okay, so the North Pole has shifted slightly, and in 97 I read that the Gulf Stream has slowed down somewhat. Uh, clearly Europe has has gone through some catastrophic things increasingly. I'm wondering with the Gulf Stream slowing down more and more, uh, what's the impact going to be from that? I'm assuming that it's true. Uh, what's yeah. the impact of that? Thank you, Cheryl. Well, Did so, the North Pole shift slightly, as she said? Uh, well, you know, the, the Earth does, the axis of the Earth that it rotates around does shift uh, slightly over long periods of time. I, there's not been a sudden recent shift in the North Pole. Okay. There's also, you know, the magnetic pole shifts, but that's not related to the climate. Um, and the Gulf Stream, so I mean, it's a little complicated situation, but the Gulf Stream is, is part of what's called the Atlantic Meridional Overturning Circulation, which um, is this giant current that uh, takes water up to the north, and then it, the water sinks and comes back down at the bottom of the ocean. And it's really part of the of the overall global uh, oceanic circulation that does influence uh, climate around the world. There is some evidence that it may be slowing down a little bit. I don't think, I don't think most climate scientists would say they, or oceanographers would say they definitely know that yet. There's some indication that it slowed down way in the past. Uh, If it were to slow down, the reason would be more melting, warming, melting in Greenland in particular, Uh, putting a lot of fresh water into the ocean, changing the salinity of the ocean in the northern Atlantic. And that would 
change this circulation pattern. There's really not much evidence of it happening yet. Some, uh, a lot of scientists think it will eventually happen. If it were to happen, it would particularly affect uh, weather in northern Europe. Uh, it might make things colder in northern Europe. Um, but I, it's not something that's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, there was that famous movie maybe 15 or 20 years ago, The Day After Tomorrow, and that was a very exaggerated version of mm. of what we're talking about, where all of a sudden the circulation stopped and, you know, the, the poor queen was in a helicopter in Scotland and the rotors froze and, she, and it fell out of the sky, things like that. I mean, that's not, you know, that's Hollywood. Uh, what we're talking about is a slow potential uh, slowing of that circulation. Did we see more evidence last year of emissions coming mostly from the global north affecting disproportionately the global south? Uh, I don't know if we're seeing more of that. I think we're more aware of, you know, the fact that uh, the global north is really responsible for the mess we're in and the global south uh, pro probably gets a disproportionate share of the impacts. Um, certainly the ability to sort of deal with the impacts because of, uh, of they're not as affluent as the global north. Um, but I don't, I can't, you know, I couldn't say for sure, but whether there's more, um, you know, extreme weather, say, in the, in the global south now than there would be in the global north. I don't think we can say that. We can say that there appears to be more extreme weather and more extreme events overall on the planet because of warming. But uh, whether it's, you know, uh, whether there's, there's more now in the, south, in the global south, I just don't, I don't, I sort of doubt it. Yeah. Though with the economic imbalances generally between the global north and the global south, and the fact that the global north, meaning mostly the wealthy, wealthier industrialized countries, have produced the lion's share of the emissions, um, it's, it's such a huge challenge for inequality to equality over time. It is, and that's what the whole, uh, you know, a lot of the debate in the, uh, in the big climate treaties now, the, the, what was called the COP, that was held in, uh, in uh, the Middle East this year, this right. year and in uh, right. Edinburgh last year. COP27. You know, discussing, yeah, yeah COP27. Uh, most of the discussion of that is, um, or a lot of the discussion now, these days is about loss and damage. Like who's going to pay, who's going to help the global south pay for, um, you know, the effects of climate change, rising sea levels, uh, more storms, more heat waves, more droughts, whatever, um, because they're they're not as affluent and they didn't, create the problem. The, the global north is affluent and really all of the all the fossil fuels we've been burning over the last century is really what's caused the problem. We are almost out of time, but Jonathan on the Lower East Side, I think, likes the way we've been referring to some of the data in this conversation compared to some other things that he's heard. It's a it's a, just a technical point, I think. But Jonathan, you're on WNYC. Hi, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. Um, yeah, I think it's important to, to to actually talk about this stuff in terms of Fahrenheit, not Celsius, um, because, you know, we don't use Celsius in this country. We're centigrade, however you want to call it. And I, I do think it in general just makes people think that this is like a technocratic, I don't know, European problem, talking about two degrees Celsius 
um, it seems like a little thing, but I do think it's kind of alienating. It's really just a just a comment. Yeah, I th- I think it's true. Well, um, that you know, the we know Henry, you know that the um, the experts, the UN, everybody talks about one point five degrees Celsius being this threshold that we don't want the Earth to pass. Uh, but I framed what has happened so far over the last hundred plus years as a little over two degrees. Fahrenheit. I got it from your article, which put it in both terms. Um, and it, I think he's exactly right. It makes it more relatable to people in the United States. Well, I mean, we, we always make a point of doing a conversion, you know, not necessarily every time in a story that a temperature is mentioned, but at least the first time it's mentioned. So we, we're, um, we're always, uh, you know, going to convert it to help people. But I mean, I'm in the impression or the, the opinion that you know, most of the world uses Celsius, right, centigrade, as just as most of the world uses the metric system for, you know, length and distance and all that. And uh, so part of it is, you know, we want to, like, encourage people to think as the rest of the world thinks. So so uh, using uh, Celsius or centigrade is not a bad thing. Converting it to Fahrenheit is a good thing. But um, But doing both is really what we should be doing, I think. I actually used to work for a radio station where for a while they wanted us to give the temperature both in Fahrenheit and in Celsius, this was in Albany, um, with the theory that, hey, let's help encourage the United States to join the rest of the world. Uh, but it didn't catch on and they gave it up after a while. Just uh, Yeah. It's, I mean, it's the same with the metric system, right? Never never caught, out, caught on. I think in still in New Hampshire, you can see road signs where they... They put the distances in metric as a way to try mm. to do that, what you're talking about. but um, For the people I coming mean, from Canada. Right, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, as someone who, like, you know, spends my, my uh, day embroiled in science, I mean, I'm a firm believer in the metric system. It's just it's a lot easier to mm. calculate and figure things out than, than what we use here in the States. And on the climate data of last year, that's our climate story of the week. We thank New York Times climate reporter Henry Fountain. Henry, thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.